Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter and use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Surviving Narcissism podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the program director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter will answer your questions from his most recent webinar, The Empath Superpower, How to Set Boundaries with a Narcissist. If you're interested in purchasing the replay of the webinar, you can find the link in the description of this episode. Well, hey there, Team Healthy. I'm glad to be here with you one more time, and I so appreciate you allowing me to be a part of your day and a part of your journey. I'm going to do something a little bit different here today. You know, I don't always have to follow the same formula, right? Um, Not that long ago, I presented a live presentation called The Empath's Superpower. It's a live webinar that I did online, and it's all about setting boundaries with those people who want to overwhelm you. But specifically, I focused my uh, comments towards the empath, the person that says, I want to be someone who emphasizes goodness and kindness and understanding. I like entering into a collaborative style of engagement with other individuals. Unfortunately, when that other individual happens to be a narcissistic individual, it may bring out some difficulties that they weren't really counting on. And so the whole notion is to figure out how to remain true to the goodness and decency that's part of your life, despite that other person's efforts to the contrary. Now, in doing so, I received a lot of questions regarding that topic. How do I, as an empath, maintain my sense of well-being knowing that I'm going to be in the presence of someone who is repeatedly trying to strip me, uh, strip that ingredient from me? And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk through several questions that I've received and I'm going to read them out loud to you and I'm going to talk with you about what my responses are. And I suspect that as I go through each of these different questions, you're going to be able to relate with some of them in such a way that's going to have you nodding your head saying, oh yeah, I've been through that and I've had that very same question myself. So without any further ado, let me just dive right in and go to the questions and I'm hoping that's something that you can relate with. One person asked me the question, do narcissists ever admit even a few mistakes or flaws or weakness? But then the next question is, or do they do it just as a ruse? Okay, that's a great question. As a general rule, the uh, in the mind of the narcissist, they're thinking, if I show myself to be vulnerable, If I show myself to be somebody that has a flaw or a weakness, it's not going to be good news for me. 
And so these individuals develop what we refer to as the false self. And that's a nice way of saying they have very thick walls of defensiveness built around themselves. They don't want to allow people in. And so it's saying I have problems or I struggle or I'm, I feel hurt on the inside is not part of their growth strategy. Now, when the person asks the question, might they ask or might they admit mistakes or flaws or weaknesses as a ruse? That's a really interesting question because sometimes they will, especially the covert narcissist. It may be that they'll say, well, as, as, as a matter of fact, I, I do have this difficulty. They may say sometimes I get angry and I shouldn't, or I've had a lot of hurt or pain. But you'll notice that with narcissists, they don't acknowledge flaws or hurts or weaknesses in such a way that leads to healing. What they'll do is they'll say, yes, I have flaws and mistakes, and you know what? It's everybody else's fault out there. And they go into a complaint mode, period, end of discussion. And so when, when, uh, when you have a narcissist who sometimes says, yeah, here's, here's, here's something that in my life that I don't like, inevitably it tends not to be for uh, the purpose of saying, and I need to go inside and find the healing balm that's going to assist me as I get through it. What they do is they simply turn it into a gripe session. So that's kind of a qualified way of saying they might admit flaws or weaknesses, but not really. It tends to be, because of the false self, it tends to be more of a gripe session than a healing discussion. Let's go to another question. This person asks, how do you handle narcissists who are breadcrumbing you? The drop-ins who want to keep the options open for using you, but they never have an ongoing, active, mutually giving relationship with you. They just do enough to keep you in the loop. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and I was reading through this question. My head was nodding up and down like, oh yeah, I know what that's all about. Have you, are you familiar with that term, breadcrumbing? When we talk about breadcrumbing, we're talking about a narcissist who gives you just enough morsels of goodness or friendliness or attention to make you think, well, we might be able to have something good going on here. There are some narcissistic individuals that keep in mind they're hungry for affirmation. They're hungry for your adoration. So there are some of these individuals who will say, well, you know, you, uh, you must have some interest. Tell me about it. Or uh, there's something I know you like. I'm going to offer you that to you as a gift. Or there's a favor that, uh, that would make you feel better. I'll, I'll be glad to do that. And as uh, if this was done by a regular person, you would think, wow, this is really nice and you can bond over that. Unfortunately, one of the defining features of narcissism is the willingness to manipulate and exploit other individuals. Narcissists are very self-absorbed, they're very me-focused, and they have to have dominance and control. And so there are times when you'll be the recipient of breadcrumbing. In other words, they'll give you just enough positives for you to think, I'm going to stick around. But in the end, it turns out that it's all gaslighting because along with that breadcrumbing, there are also times when you look at them and say, something's just not right here. Or even though they try to do things nice for me, 
there just seems to be a hook on the backside, and I'm not real sure I, I trust that. And over time, you realize that that more sinister side is the more dominant, and the pleasant, friendly, breadcrumbing behaviors that go along with it are simply part of the scheme. It's part of them saying, if I can do certain things to keep you on the hook, then you'll be my supply. And so, unfortunately, and you hate to think of this in a cynical kind of way, but ultimately, there it is. Unfortunately, many times when narcissists will give you those morsels of kindness and friendliness, you have to put it into the context of their overall reputation, and it tends not to stand up very well. Let's go to another question. This person, and and I'm going to focus on the word humility. This person says, I was once told at a workshop that I'm too humble. I'm trying to stand up for my power a bit more. All right. Now, I understand where this person's coming from. When they say, I I was told that I'm too humble, I don't think there's a possibility of being too humble if you understand the, the nature of humility. Humility does not equate to being a pushover. We often think of the humble person as very kind and pleasant and friendly. And sure enough, it includes that. But ultimately, humility, it includes being able to get outside yourself. It's not all about me. And it allows you to engage with other individuals in ways that can be most helpful to other individuals. And sometimes... One of the most helpful things that you can do is to take a firm stand on a topic. Sometimes one of the most helpful things that you can do is to tell someone else what you're saying or doing to me is not working, how you're treating me is not appropriate. Sometimes being humble means that you're going to uh, to stand up for other individuals who have been wronged and say, you know, I want to be a voice on behalf of those who have been oppressed. And so we often think of humility in uh, too much of a one-dimensional kind of way, where it's like the humble person is somebody that's, like I say, that pushover or uh, easily stepped on. And the humble individual is, is one that says, no, I don't think I'm helping you when I act that way. And so let's keep in mind that humility in, uh, uh, includes many, many other uh, characteristics that have to do, uh, we're going to go back to the word boundaries, that have to do with you having your strong boundaries and your firmness. And uh, I, I used to do anger workshops, and what I would tell folks is when you're assertive, part of assertiveness means that what you're saying actually is for the good of the other individual, and you don't want to be rationalizing to yourself. But truly, I'm, I'm saying something that can be helpful. And so uh, is it possible to be too humble it's possible to be too much of a doormat, but that's not the same thing as humility because a doormat is actually you saying, I don't believe in myself and and I'm just going to let that controlling person uh, have their way with all of their dysfunction. And uh, that's not a positive thing at all. So let's keep in mind that humility is a very broad kind of ingredient and we need to embrace all of what it means, including the firmness part of humility. You're doing others a favor when you say, I'm standing for what I believe is right and wise and good. And if you want to try to uh, pull me out of my sense of decency, I'll not go there because I have too much love for humanity. I have too much love for myself to allow that to happen. Does that sound a little bit different for you? Now, let's go with another one. And I know that many of you uh, would be able to nod your head in agreement with this one. This person says, the hardest question for me is how to deal with family 
who are narcissistic. And maybe it's my empathic tendency that I have to limit my time with them because of their behavior. They literally wear me out. I know I set myself up when I have expectations that I'm dealing with normal people. How can I always keep a check on my emotions when I'm around them? They bait me to interact, and then it's never pretty. Okay, how many of you, raise your hand. Okay, I see all those hands out there. Uh, how many of you can say, oh, I've, I've got family members that when I'm around them, I try to be nice and pleasant and friendly, but it just turns out to we go back to the same old dysfunctional patterns that we've always had, and, and it's miserable there. And uh, and so I, 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 I just wonder, why, why do I keep doing this? One of the things that you'll want to remind yourself is that narcissists operate with a really strong competitive streak. In their world, they're thinking, well, the way that I know that I'm a good person is I prove that I'm better than you. And so it naturally lends itself to them becoming critical. It, uh, it uh, takes them down the path towards finding out the flaws in you and trying to explain to you why you don't have the excellent ideas that they have. And so when this person says, yeah, and I've got a whole family full of those kind of people and I'm trying to be very different, and then um, this person says, how can I always keep a check on my emotions? And I'm wondering if you have that uh, the, the focus on one word just like I do. It's the word always. How do I always keep a check on my emotions when I'm around them? Eh, can, can we just kind of drop that uh, always? Sometimes they're going to anger you. Sometimes they're going to frustrate you. Sometimes you're going to walk away with a sense of perplexity, wondering what in the world is going on with these people. And I don't think that you have to say, well, I'm just going to, I need to get rid of those emotions. Those emotions are on the inside of you for a reason. Listen to what it's trying to tell you. Whenever you have that anger, instead of saying, ah, get, get that out of me, uh, what, what's my anger trying to say? Well, anger is tapping into your sense of self-preservation. Or when you have that perplexity, like why would somebody feel the need to treat other individuals in a demeaning kind of way? I'm hoping that in your uh, feeling of perplexity, you can think, you know, there's a wisdom here that these people are not tapping into. What does my wisdom say? Or when you have that feeling of futility or just uh, you're, you're just worn out by that, what is that trying to tell you? Well, what that says is I need to give myself permission to pull back and, and have that self-nurturance that I talked about just a moment ago. And so rather than thinking I'm going to go into this space and I'm just going to take my beating and then I'm going to go home, I'm hoping you can think when I have these interactions with my family, yes, there may be times when I feel like I'm obligated to go there. Uh, first and foremost, I think you need to measure your times uh, so that if, if it's too much, then give yourself permission to not go all the time. But I'm hoping you can ask, you know, something inside of me is very different. What is that? And then can I embrace my uniqueness and my distinction? And then when that narcissistic uh, group, that collective over there says, you're not like the rest of us. I'm hoping you can say, thanks for noticing. No, I'm not like you, am I? I don't think like you. I don't treat people like you do. I don't have the same attitudes, the same priorities. I'm glad that you notice that I'm not the same as you and embrace your uniqueness. And then, like I say, and if you have to minimize some of your time with them, if it's too, uh, too damaging to you, by all means, set your limit with respect to that. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to turn their attitudes upside down and say, uh, yes, I, I'm very different and I'll embrace that differentness and I'll uh, wear it like the badge of distinction that I uh, believe it to be. Okay. I'd like for you to be aware of my video courses. One is entitled Ready, Set, Connect. Now, narcissists are quite capable of throwing you off balance, so this course keeps you focused on the skills and the mindset that are necessary for positive connections. And inside the course, uh, we have various modules, that, and in, inside each module are uh, lessons, and each lesson contains a video, uh, written documents, and then questions that go along with it. We'll discuss things like how to have good conflict resolution skills, building empathy, how to be the authentic self that you need to be. If you're interested in enrolling, you can go to our uh, website, survivingnarcissism.tv, click the link for courses. You'll find Ready, Set, Connect there as well as the others. I hope that you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Now, another person, and this this is um, someone who's um, apparently had a lot of bit of uh, quite a bit of struggle. This person says, "I've lost my brother, and my husband, and my best friend. They are all so and many O's similar." So, in other words, when she says, "I lost them," uh, what she's meaning uh, is, uh, "I no longer have a relationship with them." I'm pretty sure that I have an affinity for gregarious and outgoing folks. I believe I'm confusing the artistic mind like me with narcissism. I hope to find ways to choose better. Okay, a couple of different issues going on here. So apparently she's had relations with her brother and her uh, former husband and a former best friend that have broken off. And uh, these each were very gregarious and charming kind of people. And so, you know, what do I do with that? And, and I think that what we're seeing here is that she's uh, realizing when you uh, connect with other individuals, particularly when you have multiple experiences with them and engagements and all, they may be able to hide some of their narcissistic traits for a while. But after time, they just can't stop themselves. It shows up. And that selfishness and that harshness and that uh, uh, inner anger and contempt that they hold on to and all the emotional confusion, it begins gurgling to the surface where, in this woman's case, she had at least three very significant people that she decided, you know, I have to get away from them. Okay, that's the first issue. But then she also goes on to say, maybe I'm confusing the artistic mind like I have with narcissism and... I'm kind of um, taking that to mean that if I'm a little different, if I'm that artistic kind of an individual, or if I find some people that don't necessarily match the the prototype that those other people do, maybe uh, maybe those are the narcissistic people. And apparently she's trying to rethink that. It could be that uh, there's a side of her that says, well, you know, if you have someone who's that artiste like me and like some other people that I know, the other mainstream kind of folks may say, well, they're a bunch of odd ducks. But are they? I used to buy into that thinking, but should I buy into that myself? You know, I've talked with so many individuals who've come up under traditional teachings about here's how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to have that uh, that education and that house with the white picket fence around. You're supposed to have a certain amount of money and the kind of cars and all of that. And you buy into all of that. And then you have these people over here who are a little bit more bohemian and uh, th that looks kind of attractive. And they said, oh, no, no, you don't want to be around those kind of people. 
And what I'm hearing this person say is, well, I've already lost some people over in the other crowd, and I find myself attracted to these other folks that are a little bit offbeat because, you see, I'm a little bit offbeat. And my response would be, embrace it. Uh, <laughs> some of you know my wife uh, was trained as an opera singer, and she became, uh, she didn't go into the opera as a, uh, a profession. She wound up uh, becoming a, uh, a choir teacher. And then we have a daughter who's ridiculously artistic. And so I've been exposed to a whole bunch of artistic kind of people through the years. And um, I, I love it because they can be different. And sometimes they don't always say and do everything that just lines up exactly with the mainstream. And when some of the folks over in the mainstream section say, well, they're, they're a bunch of oddballs, it's like, yep, but that's my oddball, and I'm going to embrace this, and I'm going to enjoy that, and I'm going to appreciate what they bring to the uh, equation. Let's keep in mind that narcissists want to keep people inside of grooves. They, they, they have a fixed agenda that they want everybody to live according to. Of course, they get to decide what that agenda is. And if you come along and say, well, I think differently, as long as we're talking about something that still maintains a sense of ethics and morality and reliability and responsibility, run with it. And uh, many times people have to get that notion out of their head that they're supposed to go along to get along when in fact they actually are uh, drawn towards some people that are maybe a little bit different. That's okay. Let's take it a little bit further. It's necessary for you to say, I'm, I'm going in that direction. How about that? Okay, now we have another question here, and th this kind of has some uh, is some similarity to the one about the uh, that the lady asked about the whole family that's narcissistic. But this person says, "Can you speak about empaths who grew up in a narcissistic family? Does their empathy end up chained by constant expectations of boundary violation? How can an empath heal from this pattern?" Great question. So you have somebody who has a narcissistic family, and then you think, well, I, I want to have a more tender approach toward people. I, I'm the one that likes to uh, to pet the puppies, and I'm, I'm the one that likes to uh, show uh, regard for the underdog. And the narcissistic family says, nah, nah, you don't need to do that. Uh, those are just a bunch of losers over there. And then before you know it, I think, well, okay, I guess I'll have to go along to get along. And so when uh, this person says, uh, I, I wind up being chained by their expectations, and I have spoken with so many people who could echo that exact same sentiment, and then the question is, how can an empath heal from this kind of pattern? And um, I, I think that the way we heal is we go back and ask, what is it in that pattern that I agree with? And <laughs> my first reaction is, well, when, when the pattern says you have to stay inside these tightly defined grooves and don't get out of it, I don't know that I agree with that. There's, there's so much variety built into all of nature, including human nature. And then when you come along and you illustrate, well, I have a different nature. It's not exactly the same as the rest of you people. Rather than thinking, well, I guess I have to Go along with your expectations. That's the uh, chain by their expectations. I wonder if you could just decide, you know, I'm going to go ahead and embrace my uniqueness as opposed to just falling back into the same old familiar patterns that were given to me. That's part of you having boundaries, even as you maintain that soft or that uh, more tender dimension 
Uh, we need people who will go into that. Please don't deny yourself the privilege of being who you are. All right, let's, let's go with another one. This, uh, this person says, the non-empath example of one person saying that they had something bad happen to them and then, then the listener saying, oh, I know, let me tell you about what happened to me. Could that ever be a learned behavior by someone who was raised by narcissistic parents? And the, the answer is, oh, yeah. Uh, when this person says, I, well, I've got a non-empathetic um, example, when we talk about having a sense of empathy, we're talking about being able to understand and know another individual from their vantage point. And you enter into their vantage point and you don't really feel the need to fix them or to, to tell them what they should have done, but you can learn to embrace them and you have a certain amount of patience and willingness to, uh, to, uh, to go with them or flow with them as they are. Obviously, you can still have your convictions, etc. How many times, though, have you been around someone and somebody is telling a story that has emotion or something significant that that person is trying to say, and then that narcissistic person comes along and says, well, why don't we talk about my favorite subject, me? <laughs> and so they take your story and then they turn it into an excuse to say, well, I have a whole lot of things I need to share. And, and then they go all about and go into all about uh, sorts of stories about who they are and what they think and feel. And then that person who has the original uh, conversation thinks, never mind. Is that narcissism? And the answer is, yeah. Another of the defining features of narcissism is the inability to empathize. These individuals are so consumed with who they are that they never did really learn to uh, to go into someone else's space. By the way, you may have heard uh, me say in other uh, venues uh, the term uh, trained incompetence. Children needs to need to learn how to have a certain competence in the way that they engage with other individuals. For example, when you tell a, a, an eight-year-old, I want you to share certain things with your friends, well, that's a good lesson for them to learn. And then when they're 16 years old and you're, they're still talking about it, well, we're going to now tie it to a deeper motive. And that deeper motive is, yeah, when you share, it's because you want to make sure that there's a connection there at the heart level that you have, and you can go on and give that kind of wisdom to a child. And hopefully by the time they hit their adult years, if you've had enough of those conversations, then it can make a, a major impact. Narcissistic individuals, either they didn't have that kind of competence trained into them, but it was trained incompetence, or it just didn't take. But any way you look at it, uh, narcissists are quite deficient. Is that a nice way to put it? When it comes to slowing down and rather than saying, hey, let me take your topic and I'll uh, uh, parlay it into my uh, excuse for talking about myself, uh, that's what narcissists do. And so when you're around someone who does that over and over and over, that's not somebody that's going to be a confidant. There's a high probability they're not going to be a very safe person and keep your interaction with that individual minimal. All right, we have another question here. This person says, I, I suspect that I'm dealing with smear campaigns behind my back with my manager at work who's clearly an overt narcissist. So far, I've remained unreactive and stayed cool, but the smearing is damaging and, and it does trigger me when instinctively I know what's happening. And so the question is, how do I respond to that? So the question that this person has is, well, if you feel like there's a smear campaign there at the workplace, do you go and confront 
that uh, boss that's the manager there and say, hey, I noticed you're saying some crummy things about me behind my back. The uh, the uh, the thing that you want to consider first is, um, you know, where am I going to go with this and what's going to be the net result? What's the end game there? If this person is a strong, overt narcissist, there's a real strong possibility you're going to get smacked down. And then you have to question, well, am I ready to deal with the repercussions that might come from that? And so speaking directly to the person who might be doing the smearing is a possibility, but you have to have a certain amount of wisdom and discernment. Is this something that I want to take all the way? And if if it means losing my job, I'm willing to do that. And if that's the case, and if you have a fallback position, you might need to go ahead and do that. Another option, though, is you might also think, well, uh, whether I can or cannot or should or should not uh, deal with that manager, perhaps I can talk with some of the individuals that I've been hearing some things from and uh, get their input and, and ask, you know, tell me what you think about that. And you're hearing certain things about me. Are there any questions that I might be able to answer for you? And you can certainly give your perspective about who you are and what your intentions are. You don't need to go into too strong of a defensive mode because that can actually throw its own red flags. But I don't think that you necessarily have to remain silent. Uh, whether it's talking to the person who's directly giving the uh, uh, the smear against you or the persons who are receiving the messages, at some point you want to speak up. And if this is a place where you can't do that, then at some time you've, you've got to ask, you know, why am I allowing myself to be in such a, a position as this? And you might have to move on. And so remind yourself, ultimately, I want to have the final word about who I am, and if I can find some place of collaboration with these individuals, I'm willing to go into that space. But then if not, then I need to start looking for my other options. Okay, Okay. let's let's look at um, one more question here because we're running low on time. This person says, uh, if you're not sure that someone is a narcissist, how can you tell if they're a controlling narcissist or if they're simply setting boundaries? One of the things that I speak with impasse about is the necessity for setting your boundaries. And uh, whenever you do that, it can feel a bit odd when you say, I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to do that instead. And so that empathic person, who, who's somebody that wants to be kind and friendly and helpful and tuned in, may sometimes question, well, am I being stubborn or am I being inappropriate? Because they've probably been told that's to be the case. But I think it's a matter of you asking, well, do I have a, a real strong controlling agenda when I approach other individuals? And when the answer is, no, not really. I just happen to be in a situation where I'm having to let somebody know you've stepped across the line and I don't want to go through that with you. That's not controlling. It's called self-preservation. And there's a difference between control and preserving your convictions Narcissists will say, well, I'm just doing self-preservation too. But when they want to get inside your head and make you think like they think, then, that, then they're lying to themselves and then they can turn around and lie to you. So make sure that you understand the intent and the motive that drives other individuals and especially the intent and the motive that drives you. Okay, guys, these are some of the questions that I've received, and I suspect that you would have many more, uh, particularly as you go over to the YouTube side. If you uh, have some questions that you want to uh, throw at me, put them in the comment section there, and I'll get to them. I so appreciate being able to hear from you and know what you're dealing with. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are unaware, I, I do have a live feed every Wednesday uh, at 11 o'clock Central Time, uh, U.S. time, uh, where I go through questions like this. So if you want to have more of this, you can go to something like that. 
I know that many of you wonder, is, is it okay for me to be me? And I'll take it a little bit further and say, well, it's not okay for you not to be you. Be who you are, trust yourself, know that you're anchored in good and decent motives. And then when the narcissist says, I don't like that, then your response can be, yes, I'm, I'm aware of that. And then be you anyway. All right, Team Healthy, I hope this gives you some good food for thought and uh, uh, stay, stay tuned. We're going to keep more uh, uh, podcasts coming your direction. Thanks for letting me be part of your growth. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.